Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Census Technologies podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another conversation here with Census Technologies. As we maneuver today's topic, make sure that you're heading to our website, www.census.com. Again, census, C-E-N-S-I-S dot com. For more information on some of the main touch points we're going to be breaking down today, but also for some more census content, including episodes of our conversations here on the podcast, as well as other videos, articles, blogs, and more. So as we maneuver today's episode of the show, the core topic is digging into some of the workflows, challenges, and solutions to one of healthcare's biggest legacy pain points, and that would be the use of IUSS, otherwise known as immediate use steam sterilization, or for our legacy listeners, flash sterilization. Though IUSS as a process has improved in its efficiency and efficacy over the years, an active fight within professional healthcare culture against IUSS has left it in a bit of a gray area. People are asking themselves, does this process actually have any utility in modern care environments, especially in the context of broader pushes toward value-based care, for example? And if hospitals feel the need to use IUSS for their medical equipment, how do you make sure it's being used intentionally instead of as a Band-Aid solution, uh, and often a, a pretty poor one at that? So we're going to be exploring all of that and more, as well as how census technologies fits into the equation to support care professionals' workflows. So here to join us for insights today, I'm pleased to welcome our thought leader, Kelly Swales. She's senior clinical educator for Census and a frequent guest on the program. Kelly, great to have you on. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Real pleasure getting to chat. I know on uh, your last conversation, you spoke with Tyler, uh, and that was a great, great conversation. So looking forward to getting the chance to source your thought leadership as well. I want to start by uh, just, I guess, letting our audience know what your experience has been in the field using or seeing IUSS used, just so uh, our audience understands the perspective you're bringing today. Yeah. Um, you know, I, well, I used to be a scrub tech. So back then, we would flash anything and everything that we needed to in an open flash pan. Um, so that's to tell you how long ago that was. But, you know, through the years, they came out with these flash packs. It was great. We could use, you know, this sealed container to um, flash, as we called it back then. And that was okay. And then came the move to, you know, let's not sterilize in that way. Um, and then change the name to immediate use steam sterilization. So as I always tell everybody, as much as I try to say IUSS, I know that I will slip and say flash because that's old school and, well, that's what I said for how many years. Um, so, yeah. You're with, a legacy player. Yeah, there you go. Um, and so, you know, it's it's become a patient safety issue. Um, it's, you know, I think that one of the greatest concerns, at least what I have with it, is, you know, are those instruments getting clean? Are they hand washing them or are they putting them through the ultrasonic like they should, putting them through the mechanical washer like they should and then sterilizing and so, um, you know, I go to hospitals, about 60 to 75 hospitals a year. I go on site and I do clinical assessments to see how our customers are using Sensitrack. I then help them, you know, to figure out ways that they can um, use it to its full capabilities or maybe a more efficient way to use it for something that they're doing. If they're doing something on paper, I can usually show them how we can do this in Sensitrack and get away from paper and go um, completely electronic. And I am still seeing quite a few hospitals that are doing IUSS. Um, it may be, you know, we only do it once a month, 
and I see some that it's it's you know twenty five percent of their um, sets that they process are IUSS on any given day. So for a quick refresher for our audience on how IUSS differs from some other sterilization methods, uh, IUSS used to be called flash sterilization because, put simply, it is the sterilization workflow that requires the absolute minimum time to sterilize surgical equipment without a dry time. So for comparison, this looks like usually a three to four minute sterilization with zero dry time. In comparison, other sterilizing workflows can run anywhere from maybe five minutes with a 30-minute dry time or even 10 minutes with a 45-minute dry time. Uh, So, Kelly, I'm curious, what has been the trend over the last several years regarding IUSS? Just in general, have you seen it decrease, increase, uh, or maybe just level out across professional institutions, especially as the context of using it, like we mentioned earlier, has been shifting more towards the negative or don't even do this at all side. Yep. So I am seeing a, a you know some a, a great decrease, um, which is wonderful. This is what you know we want to see. Um, I go to many hospitals that say, oh, you know, we don't flash at all. I worked at hospitals that they don't flash at all, and um, you know, it's, it, and I'm hearing we haven't flashed in two years. We haven't you know we haven't flashed in four years or something. So it can be done. I think it's just these hospitals have had a strict policy to say we're not going to do it no matter what. Um, one of the key things with that is never have only one set of something. And, you know, if it's during the procedure and something gets contaminated, well, good thing with SensorTrack is you can look up that instrument and see where else it's used and then go grab that tray off the shelf. So you may not even think that this retractor would be in, a, in another tray, but yet it is. And just to intersect some high-level trends before we get more granular on IUSS, have there been any intersections between that decrease in IUSS workflows and the sort of broader push we've seen over the last several years towards value-based care at care organizations? So I know, you know, if you use a um, IUSS instrument or set on a patient, it is supposed to be documented. Now, are they documenting that in the patient's chart? Are they documenting that in sensor track? You know, where are they documenting this? And along with that, then you have to think, you know, is there, if there was, if there's an infection, if that patient gets an infection, is it in their chart that they, you know, had an IOSS instrument used on them or are they documenting it, but not linking it? So there's a lot of gray area there to know, you know, when it comes to value-based care, um, to know, exactly how they're charting that, how they're documenting that. Um, you know, that's one of the benefits. I think of my mom had surgery a few years ago and right there in pre-op, I, and I was with her and I said, don't use any IUSS instruments on, on her. And they're, they're like, what do you mean? And I said, flash instruments, IUSS. I said, there, you can't. I said, so I need to know before she goes back there that her instruments that are you know writing that OR, that they were processed, you know, as they should be and nothing was, was flashed. And they and they're like, nope, it's fine. I'm like, okay. And she was okay, but you know, as they say, customers and consumers, they're they're getting smarter. They know what to ask for. They know what to um, be cautious of. And with you look at, you know, if you have a hospital acquired infection, many people are going to say, I want to see what sets were used. I mean, I want to see, you know, the records, or I want to see the the hospital room I was in. You know, was it clean? So. Kind of have to do all, all you can to protect your patients. 
Now, if you could get a little more granular for us earlier, again, I mentioned some of the differences in sterilization time and dry time between some common workflows. Can you intersect that with how the quality of IUSS compares to other common care industry sterilization methods? Um, I mean, it seems like in the context of our conversation, uh, it doesn't compare very well, uh, but I'd like to just offer those more granular details for our audience. Yeah, you know, so I think of, you know, back in the day, a long time ago, um, before flash was an issue, you know, we would hand wash our instruments at the sink and then we would flash them. And I didn't know any better because that's the way I was taught during my clinicals and that's what I went along with. And then as things progress and you learn more, it's like, oh my goodness. Um, one of my main concerns is that if you are, you know, processing something through IUSS, is how well did you clean that? Did it go through the ultrasonic like it's supposed to? Did it go through the mechanical washer like it's supposed to? And then as it comes out, you know, typically it's too hot to touch. So you've got to cool it, let it cool somehow so you can assemble it quick and then put it in for that um, four minute sterilization. You know, many times you see it's like a 270, four minute um, exposure time and one minute dry time, and then off of the OR it goes. And, you, you know, you just feel like some of those steps before that sterilization, are they completing all those steps or are they rushing it through or are they putting it in, in the washer and mechanical washer? Are they putting it on a short cycle? So that's what concerns me more than anything is that is that instrument truly clean and going through that cleanliness part. So today, even the AAMA, excuse me, the AAMI, the Association for the Advancement of Medical Instrumentation, even they support minimal use of IUSS, if not a complete departure from the process, even if medical professionals feel that they don't have enough equipment to meet their daily demand. So uh, what would you say are some of the core reasons that we still see medical professionals use IUSS if it's widely regarded as inefficient? And as you break those down, if you could also give us some context on uh, if you see any of these reasons as justified reasons or not and why. Yep. So um, I think um, two of the main reasons that I see, one, it's loaner sets. So they arrive too late or we don't have time or they only bring in one, you know, so they may bring in 12 trays, but they're all different trays. And then as you go to set up and prepare for that surgery, if they forgot a chemical integrator or there's something, you know, dirty in that set, you know, there's something wrong, it now needs to be reprocessed. Well, we don't have time, you know, You've got that tight schedule, so then you're having to go and IOSS that process um, so that way we don't hold up the surgery schedule too long. The other thing I see is not enough instruments. And, you know, there I can I can speak from experience where at, you know, one of the hospitals I worked at that we, I looked at our IOSS and, you know, figured out, okay, you know, why are our rates so high? What are we doing? And one of our, it was, one was our, it was our rectal tray. And we were doing 12 procedures in a day. They were quick procedures and we only had five trays. So there was, you know, not enough time to turn all those over and get them back. And so I, you know, looked, I, I looked at those patterns and those trends, found out here's one. It was a simple, you know, it's, it's easy to buy instruments for that. And then it was um, just, I added five more sets and then never had to IOSS um, one of those. It can be done. I know there's budgets. Um, Mine was an easy fix because they were very um, reasonably priced instruments. 
you know, not a $25,000 instrument or something, but so yeah, it's just a matter of looking to see uh, either upholding loaner policies. Many times I see that they require, hospitals will require them to bring in two of everything. And then, so they have a backup, uh, but then they don't really hold them to it. And then yes, they're going to have to IOSS uh, that set if there's something wrong with it. So when, at least in today's context, right, when professionals still feel the need to use IUSS, since it is a spottier sterilization process, the AAMI also says that if you have to do this, then trays used for said flash sterilization need to be identified and documented as having been flash sterilized, as having uh, gone through that IUSS process. So does that documentation and logging process happen like it should in your experience when folks still use IUSS? Why or why not? So that I, I don't know because I would assume that they're documenting that in the patient's chart and I don't see patient's charts. Um, I would hope that that's where they're documenting it. Now, if they're documenting it in Sensatrack, that's how they're um, in sterile processing. That would be there an ideal way for them to document that load as an IUSS. And then from there, they can start running, you know, monthly, quarterly, yearly reports, look for those patterns and trends. And that's where they're going to get that good documentation to identify what is, you know, what is the problem. Um, if it's this one tray in the last six months, we've had a hole in the wrapper five times. Well, that's telling me that we need to use corner protectors, put it in a rigid container, you know, something. So the whole idea of using SenseTrack for that IUSS is that you can identify those patterns and trends and then minimize that use. And that's what, you know, I've, I've done this at a hospital and, and it worked. We were at 480 some flashes a year and we were down to 23 a year um, when I left. And then last I heard, they, they're at zero. They don't do it at all. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty telling there of the impact of a, a you know, logging platform and documentation platform like censuses. Let's go ahead and get a little deeper now in that and intersect census into the conversation more explicitly. What I find interesting about census's solution to support IUSS workflows is that it doesn't necessarily, like on its face, find ways to eliminate IUSS, but it tries to give care professionals more holistic oversight over their processes to identify those gaps and then make the right decisions for their care context, which usually ends up leading to, like you said, phasing out IUSS. Uh, but it really tries to just give care professionals the right tools to understand what are our workflows, what is missing, what is failing, and what do we need to invest in to fill those gaps. So I'm wondering if you could get a little more detailed on how Census Technologies is Sensitrack, like you were saying, again, that's uh, the platform we're talking about today, how that connects with this care industry dynamic. Yep. So one thing, you know, so with, with Sensitrack, um, there's multiple ways. You can run a report, identify what sets you only have one of, and then you can identify, you know, how often is that set used. You can then also run a report showing usage. So it's going to show you your number, your, your sets that are used the most. And then how many, you know, on any given day. So if you see something that's used twice in a day, that's definitely something you may want to increase how many um, sets you have. And then, as I mentioned, if you're documenting those IUSS, then running those reports and filtering from there to figure out, you know, which, which sets are we using or having to, you know, IUSS. Um, and um, you can use case tracking which then you can use um, that patient or that, that procedure, that case ID, 
and then you can link that IUSS to that case ID. So then in the event, you know, you have a root cause analysis or a tracer as part of that RCA, they may ask you, um, you know, what sets were used on this patient for any of them IUSS. You can then, you have all the information right there of case tracking, but just by putting in that um, procedure, that case ID. You brought this up in passing, but I'd like to give you a chance to uh, break it down with a little more detail. I know that you've used SensorTrack as a customer as well. You've got hands-on experience with how it fits into and supports some of these existing uh, serialization workflows. So can you share some of those experiences with us and what the key takeaways were for you using it as an end user, what you found useful about the platform? Yeah. So, you know, when you're going to document your, you, you know, you create your sterilizer load and then when you go to document it, typically you'll select, you know, pre-vac 270, 10 and 45 or something, but you want to select um, the IUSS and then put in the, you know, 274 and one or whatever cycle you ran it on. And then from there, because you're, you're using those IUSS, that's then when you can run reports just strictly on IUSS. That's what I did. And then um, when I had that report, I just exported to an Excel. And then just with filters and formulas, you can um, find out different things that you want to, um, especially holes and wrappers. That was always a useful one. Um, there I also used the quality feedback. So anytime you had a hole in the wrapper too, documenting with that. So then you can help to identify and be proactive so that you don't have to use IOSS um, if you're using the quality feedback to identify um, issues or concerns. Kelly, I appreciate all your insights so far. This has been really useful. Uh, I've got one more core question for you here before I open it up to some final thoughts. But how do you see a sense of track supporting care professionals and actually creating some domino effects, right, for the entire care operation, especially as we come out of today's industry dynamics and look ahead at tomorrow's? Yep. You know, so as I said, I go to 60 to 75 facilities a year and I'm continually seeing that everyone is short staffed. Um, many departments are struggling and, you know, I was recently at a, at a department and they're down 25 staff. So, I mean, a large department. But you think of, you know, we there's a demand for soil processing workers. And so if we can do anything we can to help them so that they're not having to rush, they're not having this, you know, hurry, 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 because I need to um, IUSS this set or this instrument, then what a great way to do it. You know, if you have to just IUSS something, is that just the band-aid effect? Well, let's let's solve this. Let's, you know, let's take let's get this taken care of. Or if it's loaner sets that are arriving too late, then we need someone to uphold that loaner policy. And, you know, you can then use that sense track report and show them exactly how, you know, we had to flash this. We had, I told you I'd say flash, um, you know, we had to IUSS this um, and this, you know, this set of yours and this set of yours. And there's a discussion with that, um, that rep to say, you've got to get your stuff here on time. So anything we can do to help staffing um, with the shortage so that they're not having to, you know, run around like crazy and, um, and be stressed out. Definitely. And it feels like those trends are going to persist for at least a while as the industry figures out the best way to uh, address some of the retention issues that we see in care professionals. So I think uh, investments in platforms like these to help make existing workflows more efficient and to identify 
where you need to invest in more equipment, for example, to reduce the need for ever needing to flash sterilize anything in the first place, I think is going to be uh, creating some domino effects as well. So, Kelly, last thing is just final thoughts here on the platform or on some of these challenges impacting professionals moving forward. Um, you know, my, I, you know, I, I also, our customers use SenseTrack. Just, you know, you have it. It's there. Use it for your IOSS loads. Many times I hear yes, but the OR, you know, they're the ones that they do their own IOSS loads. They do it all their own. Well, if they're doing all their own, then that really makes me question, is that set being washed? Because if you don't know that what they're flashing or, you know, because it's upstairs in the OR, then how is that being washed when the washer's downstairs? So right there would be um, a big no-no that if it's just being hand washed. And so I encourage everyone to have that conversation with your OR and say, let's not have the OR flash anything any, you know, anymore. Have sterile processing do it. We'll get it downstairs. We'll put it through the washer. And then we'll process it so we can document it in sense track. And then um, it becomes a win-win for everyone because I'm sure most facilities would rather have enough um, instruments than having to IOSS. And yes, it costs money, but it's, it's patient care. It's, it's best practice. It's patient safety. Um, it's, it's our staffing. It's our doctors. Let's, you know, minimize the stress for them and the having to rush and get things done. All right. Kelly Swales, thank you so much for your insights today. I really appreciate you helping us break down why IUSS workflows have been uh, changing over the last several years, why care professionals have been moving away from using them, doing some compare and contrast for us, and of course, getting into the nitty gritty for how they impact operations and how Census Technologies and SensaTrack are supporting that transition away from flash sterilization. So thank you again to our guest, Kelly Swales, Senior Clinical Educator for Census Technologies. And Kelly, if folks want to find out a little bit more about SensaTrack, about some of your research and uh, your clinical education, uh, or they just want to get in touch with the company, how can they do so? Yeah, so they can reach out to, um, you know, as you said, go to census.com. Um, click on there. There's all the information to contact our office. Um, if you, if anyone is certified or they just want to further their education, well, on the website, you can click on professional um, education. And then right there, you'll see a bunch of different CE opportunities, whether it's an on-demand webinar or an article. Read the article, answer the questions. Um, along with that, lots of, you know, helpful hints out there for the, in the store processing world, as well as just department dynamics and leadership. Um, so lots of useful um, things on our website, as well as that contact information. You can always call our service desk, and then they'll get you in contact with the correct person. And Daniel, thank you for allowing me to um, talk to you about IOSS and and share everything with them, with our viewers. Absolutely, absolutely, Kelly. Thank you so much for your time. It's really been a pleasure getting to chat today, and I'm sure we'll have you back on the podcast very soon. Sounds good. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for watching this Census Technologies podcast and conversation. If you like the thought leadership you heard and saw today and you'd like some previous episodes or you want to make sure you don't miss out on future ones, make sure that you are heading to our website, census.com. Again, C-E-N-S-I-S dot com. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the very next Census Technologies conversation. <laughs>